Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Lighthouse Bible Church this fine morning. Let's begin by praying together. Heavenly Father, we just love you so much, and we want to thank you for all your gifts and blessings, everything we have we have received from you. We thank you most of all for your precious Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who died for our sins, was buried, and raised. you raised him on the third day. So whoever believes in him will never perish, but has eternal life. Father, this morning we want to pray for the saints, both here at our congregation and around the country and around the world. We know, Father, that you have promised that for those who love you, for believers in Christ, that you are working all things together for good. And we want to thank you for that and all the other blessings you provide, especially the spiritual ones. We ask today, Father, that your word and the spirit would build us up and challenge us, and that we would leave today with a clear focus on what's important in life and what things really matter. We ask this all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. As you know, every month we sponsor a missionary organization, and this past month we've been sponsoring Mission Aviation Fellowship. As the name implies, aviation means that they use planes to get to very inaccessible areas around the world, bringing the gospel and bringing things that people need to survive, helping out indigenous pastors, pastors on the ground there, helping out with evangelism, helping with community needs, and so forth. So please continue to pray for them, Mission Aviation Fellowship. Their website is www.maf.org. If you'd like to check out, learn more, or help in any way, again, www.maf.org. All right, let's get right to the message this morning. The title of today's message comes from the last, literally the last statement in 1 Timothy, which means that we're closing out our series on 1 Timothy today. And the title is Grace Be With You. Grace be with you. With that, I'd like you to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 20. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 20, as we begin this morning. Again, this will be our last Sunday on the letter of 1 Timothy, which means that next week we will be starting a new book, and that book will be the Gospel of John. We'll be studying the Gospel of John starting next week. All right, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 20. 1 Timothy 6.20 O Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you, avoiding worldly and empty chatter and the opposing arguments of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed and thus gone astray from the faith. Grace be with you. And with this, we come to the end of our letter of 1 Timothy. What we have this morning is a summing up of things in a very compact manner, and then a signing off. And and basically, there's three things. And these three things are um, elements that all of us can take from this, no matter what time period we're in as a church, no matter what issues we face. We're always called to guard, to avoid, and to be blessed. To guard to avoid and be blessed. We see it here where Timothy is is instructed by Paul to guard what has been entrusted to him. We'll see more about what that is. That he is to avoid worldly empty chatter and the opposing arguments of what is falsely called knowledge. Guard, avoid, and then grace be with you, the blessing. 
And so it's a very appropriate way for him to end because the whole letter has also been about these very same things, to guard the treasure, the word of God, to take care of and protect the congregation, and also to avoid so many pitfalls that we've seen him talk about in this letter. Pitfalls, for example, in choosing elders and deacons. Pitfalls in how the widows are taken care of. How to deal with false teachers and the damage that they can have. So guard, avoid, but then be blessed. Grace be with you all. And it begins with a very tender, personal, yet impassioned plea from Paul to Timothy. Notice the first two words. O Timothy. O Timothy. It's called the vocative in the Greek. It just means to call out to somebody by name. And it really highlights the relationship. It also highlights the significance of what he's going to say. So you can imagine Paul writing this at the very end of this letter. He's not there in Ephesus with Timothy. He's left Timothy there, his young protege. And at the very end, as he's signing off, he's almost reluctant to close this letter. And yet he has, so he expresses it in this way. Oh, Timothy. You could think of him perhaps considering that he would say, Oh, Timothy, I wish I could be with you, but I cannot. You're going to have to do this on your own. Oh, Timothy, continue to fight. Guard what must be guarded. Avoid what must be avoided. O Timothy, the Lord's grace will be with you now and always. O Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you. The word guard here really means to protect and preserve. To protect and preserve what has been entrusted to you. Please turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13. A very similar statement here is 2 Timothy, the second letter now. Time passes between the first letter of Timothy and the second. In the first letter of Timothy, he's been released from his first imprisonment in Rome. He's on his way to Macedonia, Philippi, and Thessalonica. He's left Timothy in Ephesus. Now, as time passes, once this letter is complete, the one we're on, and then what's going to happen is, is he's going to be arrested again. He's going to have a second imprisonment in Rome. And that's where he writes 2 Timothy, the very end of his life. So in any event, he says a very similar thing here. Notice 2 Timothy 1.13. Retain the standard, but notice now what's the specifics of sound words which you have heard from me in the faith and the love which are in Christ Jesus. Guard, that's the same word that we just saw. Through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us, the treasure which has been entrusted to you. Retain the standard of sound words. That's been entrusted to Timothy. You heard it from me, Paul says. It's, it's, it's stuff that's come from Paul to Timothy. That he is the guard, that he is to protect, that he is to, to, he is to preserve. Guard the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. You see, it has to do with the faith and the love. The love which he is to have for the Lord and also for the people under his care and ministry. Then 14, same word, guard. Now he brings in the Holy Spirit. Guard, how do we guard it? Where does our strength come from? Where does our wisdom come from? Come from the Lord, but here in particular through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us, in our hearts. And then he calls it in this passage, the treasure which has been entrusted to you, Timothy. What is that? 
What is the treasure that's been entrusted to Timothy? What is he called to guard, to protect, and preserve? It's this. It's his duty. That's been the theme throughout this letter that Paul says, look, you have a duty, you have a calling, you have a responsibility. You've had the laying on of hands for you to be uh, the next generation following the apostles. You have a duty, responsibility. You have a calling. You have a gift. You have people that you're to minister to. So he has a duty. But what is his first and foremost duty? To preach the gospel. You see, his calling is a treasure, but the root of it all is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what he is to, to guard. That is what he is to protect. That is what he is to preserve. Preserve the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's been what is trusted to him. He received it from Paul. You know, I think we're still in 2 Timothy. Notice he says in verse 13, Retain, guard and preserve, protect the standard of the sound words which you have heard from me. God's word is precious. It's living. It's active. The gospel is powerful. The gospel, remember, when the gospel is believed, it turns somebody from dead to alive. It brings somebody from an enemy of God to a child of God. There, that's immense power. That's the greatest miracle of all when you really think about it, that a sinner who's lost and dead and has trespasses sins, an enemy of God, no hope in this world, no hope for the next world, and then, then is transformed into a child of God, into a new creation, a new man, a new woman, adopted by God the Father, indwelt with the Holy Spirit. Uh, all of those things that happen like that, it's a miraculous thing. And the Word of God does it through, of course, the power of, of the Holy Spirit. So again, his duty is to preach the gospel, which he's received it from Paul, and he's to preserve it. What does that mean? Really straightforward, all right? If you have a treasure, all right, you don't want to distort it, all right? You don't want to add pollution to it, and you don't want to take away what's there. Now, this relates directly to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We see it all over the place these days. People that want to distort it, a different kind of gospel. A gospel that is more socially acceptable. We see today, they call, they call it, the, they used to call it the social gospel. Today it's the gospel of go out and change the world. As if, that's not the gospel. That might, by the way, we're not even, definition, we're not even called to change the world. But in any event, that's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ is what we see in 1 Corinthians 15. You don't have to turn there. 2 Corinthians, rather. 2 Corinthians, not 15. I'm losing my mind. Wherever it is. <laughs> In any event, the gospel is that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He was born of, in, of, in the flesh of the virgin. So he's the God-man. He went to the cross. He died for our sins. He was buried. And he was raised from the dead on the third day. That's the good news. Whoever believes in Jesus Christ, the one who died for our sins, was buried and was raised from the dead... Whoever believes in him will never perish, but has eternal life. That's really straightforward. But, but of course, all over the place today, we see people distorting it. We see people adding to it. Lordship salvation. Well, you know, not only do you have to believe this good news, but before that, you have to repent of your sins. You have to give your life to the Lord, right? And then after, well, you know what? You're not really saved unless you have all of these things in your life now. You're not really saved. That's adding to the simplicity of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is simply know this, hear this word, 
hearing the truth that Jesus Christ died for our sins, was buried, and was raised from the dead on the third day, so whoever believes, simply believes in Him, a child understands what believing is, right? It's distorted, it's called so many other things, but it's simply believe. Hear the good news and believe it. Take God at His word. Whoever does that will never perish, but has eternal life. Don't add to it, and don't subtract from it. People subtract from it. They want to say Jesus Christ was a great man, that he was a great teacher. Well, you know what? He was, he was all of that, but the thing that matters is he's the Son of God. He's God in the flesh. He's not just a good teacher. As a matter of fact, if he's not the Son of God, he's a liar. Because he said he was. Before Abraham was, I am. He uses the title of Yahweh in the Old Testament. I am. He says again, he says, I and the Father are one. He says, before Abraham was, I am. I think I said that already. But the point is that he over and over and over again said clearly, I am God in the flesh. So if he isn't, then he's a liar. He's not a great teacher. Not a great man. But of course, he is that. And that's the key. Don't subtract anything out of the gospel either. Some people want to subtract the resurrection out. Some people say, well, the gospel of Jesus Christ means that he died for our sins. Yeah, keep going. He was buried and he was raised from the dead. Don't subtract, add, or distort the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is a very serious matter. I want you to turn to Galatians chapter 1. See just how serious it is. This was the gospel. This, by the way, Timothy received it from Paul. Paul, we'll see, received it from the Lord. Galatians chapter 1 verse 8. Preach the gospel as you have received it without distortions, additions, or subtractions. Galatians 1 chapter 8. Galatians 1 chapter 8. Chapter 8, verse 8. Ah, did I have my coffee this morning? Yeah, yeah. Galatians chapter 1 verse 8. But even if we... Or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you. Notice, he is to be accursed. That's about as strong a language that you can say about a person in terms of him being estranged, being in a dangerous territory, being, being against the things of God. If we, Paul says, if I come back, and I preach a gospel contrary to what I had preached to you before, I should be accursed. We have, I want to just look, we have evangelists out there today that used to be really solid. I could name names. All right? This is going to shock a lot of you. Billy Graham is one of them. Did you know that? That he originally was real solid in the gospel. But over time, it all changed. You know, he got into a place where he became very popular, very famous, wanted to work with all kinds of churches, and he wasn't preaching the pure gospel anymore. I may shock some of you, but it's the truth. You should look into it if you don't believe me. So the point is that Paul says, even if I were to do that, if I were to change the gospel, I'm accursed. He says, even an angel from heaven. By the way, cults and other places, Islam, all of these different, many of these different false religions, based on a a, a vision, a message they got from an angel. That's what Joseph Smith said. That's what Muhammad said. Right, But even if an angel comes down and gives you a message, if it's contrary to the gospel of Jesus Christ, that is cursed. That's strong language. Verse 9, he repeats himself. As we have said before, so I say again. Now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you've received, he's to be accursed. Strong, strong language. 
Notice he says, what you have received. What does that mean? It means Timothy was entrusted with the gospel by Paul. You might say, by Paul? What about the Lord? What about the Old Testament? Well, you see, Paul was the one who came on the scene after Jesus Christ rose from the dead. He's the one who came on the scene after Jesus Christ was ascended into heaven and was seated at the right hand of the Father. There was the, there was the realization of what happened at the cross and the significance of the resurrection and the, the grace of God being the one that saves everybody. Right? In the Old Testament, there was the, there was the idea that somehow if you, could, if you could fulfill the law completely, then you'd be saved. But, but that's not true. Paul in, in Romans makes it crystal clear. He, he goes in a court trial for the whole human race that says, guilty. No one is righteous, not even one. Therefore, it must be a pure gift from God. He received that message from the Lord directly. He'll say that. He'll say, I received this message from the Lord. And then he turned and entrusted that good news to Timothy. And then Timothy, in turn, he'll say, Paul will say in 2 Timothy, now gather around you other faithful men and let them know so that they can go out. By the way, that's the reason we have the pure gospel today in the word of God. Because they did that. Because they did that. We now have the completed canon of scripture. They preserved the writings. Right? The Old Testament was preserved magnificently by the Old Testament scribes. Okay? But now the New Testament had to be preserved. And so we have the writings of all of the New Testament writers. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Paul, Peter, James, Jude. All of those different writers, all of their works were preserved perfectly. All right? That was the matter of having it passed down from generation to generation. There were a lot of problems along the way. All right? There were, there were distortions all along the way with that. But the pure word of God survived all of it and comes to us today where it continues to be distorted and challenged and all of that, it doesn't matter because God's words will be preserved. He said as much. He, he, he honors his word. All right. So just as Timothy was entrusted with the gospel by Paul, it turns out that Paul was entrusted also. He was also entrusted with the gospel by God, by the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's turn to, back to 1 Timothy now. Let's go back to 1 Timothy 1.11. Our passage today in 1 Timothy 6, 20-21 is a summing up of the letter. We're going to see that because we're going to go back to different passages in 1 Timothy and see how they connect to what, what Paul writes at the end in a very succinct and powerful way. For example, look at 1 Timothy 1.11. Notice what he says. According to the what glorious gospel of the blessed God, with which I, Paul, have been entrusted. He understood the responsibility and the privilege of having this gospel entrusted to him. It was entrusted to him directly by the Lord. He said, I didn't get it from man. I got it from a revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. It was entrusted to him. And then he turns around and he entrusted to Timothy. And so he knew what he was talking about. He understood the stakes. He understood the, the, the suffering that you'd go through as somebody who was preserving and protecting this precious treasure. Because all around, there were forces that tried to destroy the message back then and today. He had, he had the, the Pharisaical types, what we call the Judaizers, who wanted to, for example, in that same letter of Galatians, they wanted to say, you know what? It's not enough to believe. You realize that you also have to be circumcised. Perfect example of somebody adding to the gospel. It was going on then. Hey, listen, 
The same enemies that were around then are around today. And I'm talking about ultimately the principalities and powers, the forces of evil in this world. They're always around. I don't want to scare anybody, but I want to tell you the facts. We don't fight against flesh and blood. We get all worked up about the people, not realizing that the the reason that they're teaching the false things that they're teaching is because they have listened to the other team, to the principalities and powers. They're the ultimate enemy. We don't battle against flesh and blood. All right, we battle against the forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Okay, people on Satan's team, the angels. They've been around. They've been they've been around for a long, long time. They've been around since the church started. They were on the scene when the Lord Jesus Christ had His ministry, always trying to destroy. Satan is a liar and a thief and a murderer, and that's exactly what he tries to do with the gospel: lie about it, murder it, steal from it. Okay, that's ultimately what we're dealing with here. And yet, the word of God is preserved. First Timothy 1.11, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God with which I, Paul, has been entrusted. Again, he received this gospel, this message that he preached directly from the Lord Jesus Christ. He received it by a revelation of Christ. That's Galatians 1.12. Now, this treasure more broadly is the gospel, but it also, along with the gospel, it includes the full realm of Christian teachings. See, see this whole book is the treasure that have been entrusted to us. The precious deposit. All right? It centers around the gospel of Jesus Christ. Every book of the Bible speaks about the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the center of it all. all right? And then the other things that come around it. That's all a precious deposit. Knowing, again, that it's by grace we're saved, through faith, not of works. It's a precious deposit. Knowing that we have received every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places... That's a precious deposit. We had to take that and we had to tell other people about this. Tell them about the gospel and then teach believers who they really are in Jesus Christ. That you've been entered into and um, placed into union with the Lord Jesus Christ forever. That the Holy Spirit dwells in your hearts now. These are all things that are, are part of the teaching that, that, are, that surround the gospel, that actually blossom out of the gospel. We've died to sin. Christ died on the cross. We died to sin. We died to, to the law. See, that comes out of it, springs forth from the gospel. All right. That's a precious deposit as well. The full realm of Christian teachings, which in these letters, I say these because, remember, there's a unit that we're looking at, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and, and Titus. We call those three letters the pastoral epistles, basically because he's writing them to pastors. Here's how you shepherd the flock. So that's why we call them pastoral epistles. It just means 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus. And in those letters, this, this precious deposit is called the faith. Please turn to 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6. Let's see an example of that. The summing up, that's what he's doing. And he's saying, you've been entrusted with a precious deposit of the gospel. And more broadly, the full realm of Christian teachings that you also protect and preserve. There's a lot of attacks today on other aspects of the truth that's in the, in the gospel. There's so many that want to turn it into a legalistic set of principles. You know, they have to tithe, for example. Well, guess what? That was an Old Testament tax because you had what's called a theocracy, a nation that was run by God himself, and he had given these principles of how to run a nation. One of them was tax. 
because they needed to support the nation, in particular, they needed to support the, high, the priests and so forth. So he had a system. We're not under that system anymore, right? We have died to the law so that we could live to the Spirit, to Christ. But there's so many that want to turn and distort the statements of the New Testament into rules and laws again. When, when it goes way beyond that. It goes on to the fact that we've been adopted by God as his children. We're to be imitators of God. That goes way beyond keeping the law. Okay, so that, but the law, when we say the law, we don't mean the principles. They're wonderful. All right, they're wonderful principles to love God with all your mind, heart, soul, and strength. To love your neighbor as yourself. The issue was the bondage of it. The bondage of it. To think that this is the only way that I can have access to God, to please God, that I can't, that I, that I, that I have to follow, follow it perfectly. Okay, the bondage of it. That's what the issue we've been freed from. Because now we have the life of the Spirit. It goes way beyond. Not only are we told, it's in the book of Ephesians again, that we are to not steal law, but, but go, go forward and say we are instead use our hands to make what is good so that we'll have extra to give to others. You see it? There's a new way of living. So many people want to turn it back into a legalistic set of rules. You can't eat this, you can't eat that. By the way, some of the false teachers in Ephesus were doing the same thing. They were saying these certain foods you can't have. They even were saying you can't get married. I want you to think about that. Well, yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting, that one thing about saying you can't get married, you know, disdaining marriage. If a community ever actually practiced that, what would happen to it? Then one generation, it wouldn't exist anymore. We're going to see how Paul is going to call these things that they were teaching built-in contradictions. And, that, and we'll get to this in a minute. But always that, if you want to understand the ultimate um, undoing of a lie, it is that it, it, it contradicts itself, ultimately. All right, so we'll see that. But in any event, let's read 1 Timothy 4, 6. In pointing out these things to the brethren, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. How? constantly nourished. This is first and foremost the calling of a pastor or an evangelist. Why? Because they're the ones that are going to then in turn be the ones that are feeding, as it were, the the people. All right? So they have to first be nourished on what? On the words of current events. Is that what it says? No. On on the words of all the theological controversies going on uh, in the seminaries today. Is that what it says? No, it says what? The words of the faith. What is that? The biblical truth having to do with the full realm of teachings for the church. That's what, that's what this is. Constantly nourished on those. It, we're so tempted these days, especially these days, to be focusing our time and our energy and our resources on things that really don't matter, but we think they do. All right? In the political world, for example. Okay? Many pastors, that's all they do. That's all they do is they get involved with, with, with uh, social issues and political issues and all of this and all of that. It's not their job. It's not their job. Believe me, though, it's a constant temptation, especially these days, for pastors in particular. Nope. What is, our, what is our duty? To constantly be nourished on the words of the faith and of the sound doctrine which you have been following. 1 Timothy 4.6. Okay, let's go back. To our passage today in 1 Timothy 6, verse 20. Let's continue now. We saw what's been entrusted to Timothy and now is entrusted to us, the great precious deposit and treasure of God's word, especially the gospel. Let's move on. 
O Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you, avoiding. Notice, guard this, avoid that. Guard this, avoid that. By the way, by guarding this, you'll avoid that. It's the same principle. When you walk walk by means of the Spirit, you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. Because you can't go in two directions at the same time. Same principle here. He says, when you guard the precious deposit of the truths of the gospel, you won't be, in, you will be avoiding, you won't be involved with the worldly and empty chatter. Notice, avoiding worldly and empty chatter and the opposing arguments, what is falsely called knowledge. Again, the opposing arguments of what is falsely called knowledge. God, what is precious, avoid what is deadly. What's, it's so deadly that Paul, remember in Galatians 1, said, if anyone is to preach a gospel contrary to what we have preached, he's to be accursed. That's pretty deadly. And so it's really clear. A lot of people want to muddy the waters. Well, you didn't really say that. Well, you can kind of work this back into faith, even though it's works and faith. Right? No, no, it's crystal clear. It's one or the other. You're either preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ or you're being brought into falsehood. Now, the Greek word here for avoiding really means turn away from. Turn away. In other words, it's more active. Avoiding makes it sound like, you know, I'm just passive about it. But, but this means to literally turn away from it. We always have to be doing that because it's always going to be in our face, right? The, the, the false teaching, the temptation, those things are always going to be there, all right? So we have to actively turn away from those things, how do we do it? Of course, we turn and are occupied with Christ and his word in the gospel. But in any event, avoid means turning away from. False teachers did it the other way around. They turned away from the truth to lies. We're called to turn away from lies to the truth. Can you see how that's night and day? That you can't do both, one or the other. You, you, you go to a red light, all right? You can turn left, you can turn right. You can't do both, right? If you do, you're going to probably die because you're going to be doing this, can't do both, one or the other. All right, this same word, avoiding, is also used in 1 Timothy 1. Remember, this is a summing up. Please go back to 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. He used this word earlier on, Paul did, in the first chapter of Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. He's going to now use this in the opposite way. He's going to now talking about Men who at one time were solid, who have then turned away from the faith and turned aside to the opposite. And it's very similar to what, he's going to, what he just told us. He says, listen, Timothy, turn away from the worldly and empty chatter. We'll see that means ungodly things. And then the, the arguments that are opposed to the truth. It says pretty much the same thing in a negative way, talking about the sum who once were solid but now are false teachers. Notice verse 5. But the goal of our instruction. How do you know, pastors, if you're preaching the good news, if you're preaching the full realm, it's this. It's the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart. And the pure all things are pure. And a good conscience. And a sincere faith. You're solid in the truths of Christian doctrine. That leads to you having a good conscience, right? understanding what God's will is and what it isn't, and then that develops a pure heart. That's the goal of our instruction. Our goal of our instruction is not to go out there and build the kingdom. There's another shocker for you. 
No, you know what? The Christians are never called to build the kingdom. Why? Because Jesus Christ comes back and he sets up the kingdom like that. Don't need our help. What are we called to do? We had a call to be instructed in the word of God, to have a sincere faith, to know what the Bible has to say. That's going to turn into a good conscience, knowing God's will, and a pure heart. Verse 6, for some men. Notice, for some men. It's so interesting. He knows who they are. He will name a couple of them, Alexander and Hyannaeus, as we saw. But here he's just saying some men. Why is that? Because people know what he's talking about, but he doesn't even, most of the time, want to say, it's kind of a put down. You know, some of you, that's what he's saying, some men, it's the false teachers, straying from these things. From what? They're straying from a sincere faith. They turned away from the, from the teachings that the Apostle Paul gave to Timothy. Turning away from a good conscience. Turning away and then turning into other things, right? The false teachings. Turning away from... These things, sincere faith, and what happens when you stray from those things, you go in the opposite direction. You have turned aside. That's the same weak word. Turned aside to fruitless discussion. That's what's going to happen. If you, it, it, when, a, when a pastor is no longer preaching the pure word of God, believe me, his, his, uh, his um, sermons are going to be fruitless things. Discussion, current events, or this one says this and this one says that. You see, as soon as you stray away from the faith, the word of God, then you'll turn aside to fruitless discussion. Now, here's another symptom. They want to be teachers of the law. They want to be someone who people look up to and say, now, there's somebody who really knows God, right? But they don't, even though they don't understand either what they're saying or the matters about which they make confident assertions. That is, that is just as applicable today as it was in the first century. Some men, the false teachers, have turned aside from the truth into lies. And that's what happens. If you want to get away from the lies, turn toward the truth. If you turn away from the truth, you'll be infested with the lies. Really clear, really simple. How do I know the truth? It's the word of God, living and active. How do I know the lies? Anything that contradicts that. Pretty simple. Now, what does that mean, though? It means we have to be constantly nourished on the words of God so we can recognize the lies. That's the problem today. There's so many people, they may be of good will, they may be, you know, but, they're, but they're not learning God's word. And so they're, they're, they're easy pickings for the lies. Okay? You have to be actively seeking out God's word, God's truth. Be clear on the gospel. Don't let anybody distort it or add to it or subtract from it. All right. So Timothy is instructed to stay away from the lies. Now, let's go back to 1 Timothy chapter 6. Today, we're anchored in 1 Timothy 6, 20 to 21. But since it is the summing up of the letter, we're going to go back. We're going to do this a little bit more to other parts of 1 Timothy to see how, yeah, this is a summing up. Yes, he said that earlier. And now he's going to finally keep it in a really succinct form for Timothy to go away with. Guard, avoid, be blessed. Avoiding worldly and empty chatter and the imposing arguments of what is falsely called knowledge. You see that word worldly? It's actually better translated this. This gets at the point. Unholy, ungodly. See, in other words, 
people understand worldly and they think, oh, well, okay, sure, you know, it's worldly. I'm a world citizen or, I, you know, it's a, it's a little worldly, but it's, you know, not so bad. But that muddies the waters, you see. No, it's not, it's not just worldly. That means it's unholy. It's ungodly. It's what it isn't. It's what it isn't. When he says worldly and empty chatter, he's saying that which is ungodly, unholy. There's a lot of, see, we don't recognize it, but when we get involved in some of these arguments in the world, we're, getting, we're actually going in a direction of ungodly things, unholy things. It just means not holy, right? When we spend all our time on looking at other things, like maybe the news, like maybe you know, other things that are, and I'm talking about things that are lying to us, right? So much of what's out there today is lying to us, okay? That's ungodly. That's unholy. For example, this same word, the Greek word that's translated worldly in chapter 6, verse 20. Please go to Hebrews 12, 16. We're going to find the same word. We're going to find the same Greek word. You're going to see that it really means ungodly. Okay, by this, this example, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 16. Hebrews 12, 16. Esau. You know the story of Esau? That there be no immoral or godless person. See, that's the word, godless person. Without God, turned away from God. Godless person like Esau, who sold his own birthright for a single meal. There are so many Christians who are doing the same thing. We are the children of God. And yet we sell that. We ignore that. We put that aside in order for something of the world that attracts our attention. Like Demas, Paul's going to say in 2 Timothy. He says, Demas, having loved this present world, has gone away from me. Well, well, we are in danger of doing the same thing, you see. When we get involved with that which is unholy, ungodly. Selling our own birthright. For a single meal. Then he says, and we saw in verse 20 of chapter 6, then he says, avoid empty chatter. You can, we'll get back to that. But actually, yeah, you can go back to that now. So that you can see what's, what's what. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 20. We're just kind of marching through this now. We've seen the worldly part, unholy, ungodly. Okay. And then he says something else. And empty chatter. By the way, those are two different things, you know. There's that which is unholy, and then there's this empty chatter, okay? It kind of looks in the, in the New Testament, I mean, the New American Standard Translation anyway, that is both, both describing one thing, but it's really two things. That which is unholy, and that which is what he calls empty chatter. But what, this is what it really means when he says that. Empty chatter is this. Oh, no, that's not what it is. It's that. He's saying, stay away from teaching that's meaningless. Meaningless. In other words, when you hear something and you're like, I don't really know what that's talking about. I don't know if they know what they're talking about. Remember, Paul said that about those who wanted to be teachers of the law. They don't know what they're talking about. They don't even know the subject at all that they're talking about. They couldn't pinpoint it. Meaningless. There's a lot of that out there. Stay away from it. That's what he's talking about with empty chatter. Empty. Nothing, nothing about it. Meaningless. Useless, fruitless discussions, vain dis- discourse. 
You know, like, the, like Paul ran into these people in Athens. When the, they were hanging around all day, they thought they were so sophisticated and, and educated and literate and all that stuff. But all they wanted to do was hear what's new. What's the latest this? What's the latest that? You know, fruitless discussion. Vain discourse. Talking about all these things that don't matter. Thinking that you're impressing people because you can use certain words or you know the difference between the philosophy of Immanuel Kant and the philosophy of Ayn Rand. Ooh, impressive. But it's vain. I don't know, one of the things that I thought was ultimately confusing and in a sense, nine-numbing and even silly was philosophy. It was. I mean, I would study, I studied, I had to study and all that. But they kept contradicting each other. You know, I mean, they had a person here that said, you know, what really is going on is that your mind is everything. It actually affects everything around you. And then there'd be another school that would say, no, you don't understand. Your mind is nothing until it takes what's from around you and puts it in. Where do you go with that? (laughs) Confusion, right? We actually had a guy, he's called Descartes, who who struggled and put himself in in a furnace. It wasn't an oven, rather. It wasn't on, right? Until he worked out the fact that he existed, that's crazy. Now, people are like, oh, Descartes, he was so sophisticated. Yeah, a sophisticated guy that hung out in an oven to figure out whether he existed or not. Seriously. <laughs> I don't know about you, that seems a little fruitless and vain to me. Any event. By the way, me personally, you know what I take away from this? I take away, it's a command to me. Stay away from pastor's conferences. That's what it means. I checked out a couple of them today. I got to just share this with you. It's so these are, by the way, this is a list of the best conferences of pastors. Okay, here's one: the modern world presents Christians in general and pastors in particular with many profound and complex questions related to a biblical vision of and for technology. How should we think about smartphones as Christians? Artificial intelligence. Genetic technologies, multi-site churches, virtual reality, contraceptive technology, and social media. This conference will seek to address these questions through the lenses, plural, of biblical wisdom, so far so good, the historical Christian tradition, uh uh-oh, modern sociology, you've got to be kidding me, and ministry praxis. Imagine me telling you, you know what, I'm going to miss preaching for the next two weeks to go to that. Come on. Come on, I could go on. There's one here, I love, where is it now? It's called the Renegade Pastors Conference. That actually might be pretty fun, I don't know, but you get the idea. (laughs) Yeah, ride a motorcycle across the stage, that kind of thing, yeah. Yeah, be cool, you know. Come out with a leather jacket. That's being a pastor, man. That's a modern pastor. Listen to him, he knows what he's talking about. Nothing wrong with leather jackets, but you get the idea. All right, so. Stay away from teaching that is meaningless. Let's do, we're still in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 20. Now, there's another phrase here I want to spend a little time on. 1 Timothy 6, 20. Oh, Timothy, guard, guard, which has been entrusted for you, the precious deposit of the word of God, especially the gospel. Avoid worldly things, the ungodly, the unholy, empty chatter, fruitless discussion. And then what else? The opposing arguments, opposing arguments, of what is falsely called knowledge. The opposing argument is actually the Greek word that we translate in English, not translate, but we've gotten the English word antithesis from it. Antithesis, what does that mean? You have a thesis and you have the opposite. There's so many people, you ever heard of the economists, 
the joke about how do you know an economist? They always talk about one hand and the other. You know, on the one hand, on the other hand, right? I'm not sure which, right? That's thesis and antithesis. You know, people, it's, those are big words. But what I mean by that is that people will sit around and they'll say, well, the Bible says this. But, you know, there's this other point of view, the antithesis, back and forth. Interesting. Ultimately, what is he talking about? He's talking about contradictions. That's a better way of translating that. Contradictions. The opposing arguments consist of contradictions. Now, first of all, what they teach conflicts is a contradiction to sound teaching. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 3. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 3. All right. Just go up a few verses up there. Again, it's a summing up. Well, he goes into a little more detail. Just up the road in 1 Timothy 6, 3 to 5. If anyone advocates a different doctrine, one that contradicts the word of God and does not agree with sound words, what does that mean? It means that they disagree. They say, you know what? You say, you know, it's by grace through faith. I disagree. I think it's actually, you've got to put some works in there, you know. They disagree with the sound words. Those of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul makes no mistake about it. He knows ultimately what these words really are, who they came from, who they describe. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. When you contradict the teachings, you're contradicting what he says. You see, he makes it crystal clear. And with the doctrine conforming to godliness. Remember, how, do you, well, how does this work? You learn these things and you have a sound heart, sound mind, good conscience, and so forth. Doctrine conforming to godliness. How God wants you to think and act and behave in this world. He's conceited. Remember we saw this? He understands nothing. Proud people who really don't know really what is going on. They don't even understand what they're saying. But he has a morbid interest in what? Controversial questions. I don't know who these people are. They probably got some value in them. But there's websites. All they have is controversial questions. All it is is like, here's what he says. He's wrong. He says he's 50% right. Um, here's a controversial question. I want you to know. Tell me your opinion. Now your opinion's wrong. You know, it's a waste of time. Controversial questions, disputes about words. Oh, my goodness. Now, a lot of times, people that are really consider themselves to be educated pastors, they spend a lo- most of the time in the Greek language. Nothing wrong with the Greek language. But if I were to preach in Greek today, I'm not sure we'd all understand what I, I'm not sure I would understand what I'm saying. But, you know, what does this word mean? Well, you know, in the past, people have said it means that, but it really means this. And I'd like it to mean that because then this supports the false teaching that I'm giving you. Right. Disputes about words. Out of which arise what? How do you know? You know, well, how do we know what arises out of the teachings of the word of God? We just saw it. Right. Pure heart. Um, love. And so forth. Well, what happens when they're dealing with false teaching, controversial questions and disputes? All that comes out of that is what? Envy, strife, abusive language, evil suspicions, and constant friction between men of depraved mind and deprived of the truth who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. Ah, we finally arrived at what the issue is for these guys, right? Ultimately, they're putting on a show with, the word, with God because they think it's a way to make money. Tell me we don't have that today. Of course we do. It's been in every generation. But again, it's what? It's envy. Don't we see this? Pastors envying one another. 
My congregation is bigger than yours. My collection was bigger than yours. So-and-so says that I'm right and you're wrong. Strife. Fighting within the church. Abusive language. Right? Evil suspicions. There's some churches around there always suspicious about what's going on down the street. Constant friction between men of depraved mind. Deprived of the truth. Ah, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. Talk about doublespeak. Right? Godliness is a means of gain. Well, wait a minute. And Paul's, Paul's going to say the same thing. No, actually, you have it backwards. You know, gain, Godliness, gain isn't godliness. Getting a lot of money from your people is not godliness. Being godly, there is great gain in it, but it's not financial gain. It's eternal things. That's what I mean about doublespeak, turning things around, twisting them, contorting them. All right. But again... That's, that's what he's talking about with opposing arguments in 1 Timothy 6.20. But let me tell you something about opposing, about lies, false teaching. It's really straightforward. Okay? It's this. False teaching always contains the seeds of its own destruction. Paul would say to Timothy in 2 Timothy, he would say, listen, they're going around and they're going into homes and they're going into weak women and crazy myths and all of that. He says, but you know what? Watch. Because what's going to happen is there's going to be a point when they hit a wall. And they're going, to be, they're going to self-destruct. Why? Because built into any false teaching has its own destruction. Its own contradictions. So, by the way, the truth doesn't have that. Right? I mean, I remember starting off studying God's word. I took in a little at a time. And, and I sort of built it in my soul. And I said to myself, this was before I was a pastor. You know, when I first started to study the Bible. I said, I'm going to study this until I find a contradiction. Here I am, decades later, and I still haven't found one. That's the word of God. That's the truth. You can come up to me and say, so-and-so says there's a contradiction in the Bible. You know what that really shows? They don't really know what the word of God says. That's a whole other subject. But trust me, any false teaching contains the seeds of its own destruction. In other words, false teaching ultimately refutes itself. And not only does it contradict the teachings of Paul, therefore, it contradicts itself. Think about that. Contradicts itself. Here's a contradiction. Can you read that? Can anybody read that? You can't see it, can you? Well, read it for me. You just broke the law. That's a contradiction. How about this one? Yeah, just study there for a couple of minutes. Go back and forth a couple of times. <laughs> right? See, that's the, that's the thesis, the antithesis. This and that. Yin and yang. The endless tennis match in your head. Contradictions. Right? The seeds of their own self-destruction. This is what the Bible says about these people. Look at Psalm 7, verse 14. Psalm 7, verse 14. You're going to get a visual here that I hope sticks with you. When you consider wickedness and lies and the false teachers. Psalm 7, verse 14. Liars always end up contradicting themselves. Psalm 7, verse 14. 
I'll give you a moment to get there. I know that's way in the other part of the Bible there. Psalm 714. Remember, I was telling you these days, the Psalms are going to be a very comforting place to be. Okay, why? Because when we face the kind of craziness that we're facing right now, there's even some concern about whether or not our government's going to turn on Christians and so forth. Well, just remember this, that Timothy, I mean, David had persecution like you couldn't believe. He had his own son turn against him. He had the kingdom that he, that he, that he had ruled turn against him. And yet, how, where was his consolation? My hope is in the Lord who made heaven and earth. He'll tell you about that in the Psalms. In any event, Psalm 7, verse 14. Behold, he travails with wickedness. In context, we're talking about the false teachers. He conceives mischief, brings forth falsehood. That's the false teachers. What is he doing? He's dug a pit. Dug a pit for us, right? Hoping that we'll be sucked into his lies. He hollowed it out, making sure it was really big, so a bunch of us will fall into it. What then happened eventually? He's fallen into the hole which he made. Picture that, right? Just picture kind of digging all day long, hoping somebody else is going to fall into it. And eventually he slips when he's digging and he falls into himself. Built-in contradictions, right? Wiley Coyote, right? Always setting up something for the roadrunner and eventually just blows up right in front of him. Liars always end up contradicting themselves. I'm pretty lazy because I don't want to keep track of my lies so that I don't contradict myself. So I finally decided I think I'll just tell the truth. That way I don't have to worry about keep, keep, keeping track of my lies. Kind of kidding, but not, not, not completely. False teachings always contain contradictions. Here's a case in point. I want you to see the logic. We are saved by faith alone. But the faith that saves is never alone. Wait a minute. We are saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. Huh. Wait a minute. Faith alone, but faith that is not alone. I don't know about you, but I'm thoroughly confused right now. In other words, in this system of thought, God chooses you to be regenerated, believed, born again. You're saved by faith alone. No works at all. But you're not really saved unless you persevere. And that requires works. That's their faith. That's how it works. Got it? Confusion. 1 Timothy 6.20. Let's go back to 1 Timothy 6.20. Oh, I am making enemies today. That's what happens when you teach the truth. Because there's a lot of lies, a lot of people clinging to their teachings and so forth and everything. Don't want to hear what the Word of God has to say. Don't, don't confuse me with the truth. 1 Timothy 6.20 Oh, Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you, avoiding worldly, unholy, unholiness, empty chatter, fruitless discussions, and the opposing arguments, the contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. Falsely called knowledge. I know more than you. I've got this sacred knowledge that you don't know about. That makes me better than you. What is it really? It's kind of like this. If you know people like this, double speak. But the ones that hear that, they say, oh, that's special knowledge. You don't understand it yet. 
I, th- I think about people in Buddhism. I don't know if you know anybody is in Buddhism and Zen Buddhism. You know, you've heard the you've heard the sound of two hands clapping. Now, what's the sound of one hand clapping? Ooh! If you were initiated, you would know. I would say, why don't you take that hand and slap your head? How does that sound? Stuff like that. Double speak that adherents claim as special knowledge. Pseudoscience, that's another one. Because the word is pseudonym, is really what the, what the word is in the Greek. Word bending, you know, secret vocabularies, that sort of thing. Well, to you, faith means that. But to me, faith means something else. But I'm going to kid you that it means that. The cults are famous for that. You know, you go to a Mormon and they say, oh, I believe in Christ. Yeah, but you do, believe, do you believe he's God? Hmm, not so much. So do they really believe in, in the Christ of the Bible? No. Do they want you to think they believe in the Christ of the Bible? Yes. Why? Because then they can say they're Christian, and they can say, you're a Christian, I'm a Christian. Come on over for fellowship. Hmm. All right, 1 Timothy. Let's go 1 Timothy 1.4. 1 Timothy 1.4. Paul recapping things. Here's, here's another way that he's described the same kind of stuff right at the very beginning of 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy 1.3. As I urged you upon my departure from Macedonia, remain on at Ephesus, so that you may instruct certain men, the false teachers, not to teach strange doctrines, falsely called knowledge, doublespeak, opposing arguments, unholy teaching, nor to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies. You know, there's a lot of people that go into the Bible and they want to, like, impress you. And they'll do things like, there's whole, there's whole groups of people that are looking at numbers in the Bible and saying, you know what? I know you know what it says in the English. I know maybe you know, but did you know that there's a number system in the Hebrew and it actually says something totally different? And I know, and you don't know, Right? Myths, endless genealogies, which give rise to mere speculation. That's not what God wants. He doesn't want us to be sitting around speculating. Hmm, I wonder what God's really all about. Hmm, why am I here? Hmm. No, he wa- he's already told you. Just learn it and then live that way. It's kind of simple when you really get come down to it. Notice, pay attention to myths and endless genealogies, which give rise to mere speculation rather than furthering the gospel, rather than feeding the people, rather than building people up in the truth, the growth and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. I'll just speculate for a while. Rather than furthering the administration of God, which is by faith. Taking God at his word. All right, back to 1 Timothy, chapter 6, 21. Not back to, this is, we're going to now move to 1 Timothy 6, 21. These opposing arguments, this double speak, falsely called knowledge, this and that, and trying to figure out what they mean. What's the problem with that? Ultimately, here's the problem with that. First Timothy 6.21, which some have professed and thus gone astray from the faith. I know, honestly, I know pastors, and I know their congregations, and their congregations were at one time solid in the truths of the Bible, but then the pastor made a left turn, and everybody went with him. It's kind of shocking, actually, when you think about it, you know, because you knew these people, you knew they knew the truth. They'd studied it with you for years. All of a sudden, whoosh, 
You know? Why? Because somebody professed something else. Something intellectual. Something that they thought was profound, but was really gobbledygook. And all of a sudden, boom, they go astray from the faith. Let me tell you, this is a warning to all of us this morning, especially pastors. You put yourself in great danger when you promote false teaching. Let me say that again. You put yourself and others into great danger when you promote false teaching. There's nothing more dangerous than going astray from God's word. Nothing more dangerous than that. Well, there is. Of course, never believing the gospel is worse. But we're talking about once you're a Christian, or even, or even if you're not, actually, if you're not a Christian, somebody takes you away from the truth of the gospel, it's the same thing. As I think I'm to think of it, there's nothing more dangerous than that, especially if you're promoting it. You know, you drift off course. This is what happens. You kind of drift off course a little bit. Well, you know, this isn't all that much different. I think we're still okay. I think those guys will agree with what we have to say. Let's go a little farther. Let's go with the Father. All of a sudden, bam, you hit a rock. You're shipwrecked. 1 Timothy 1.18, this is where Paul first taught the same principle. We saw this a few months ago. 1 Timothy 1.18, as we're wrapping up this morning. I always, I always say that to give hope to the people that are just, you know, they're hanging in there, but they're like, come on now, come on now. I don't know how much more concentration I have. Me neither. Anyway, 1 Timothy chapter 118. This command I entrust, there it is, entrusting. I entrust to you, Timothy, my son. Notice the tenderness. In accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, you understood your calling, that by them, by your calling, by the responsibility, by the truth of the word, you fight the good fight. Keeping faith, keeping the faith, keeping the truth, keeping the gospel. And a good conscience, notice, which some have rejected and have what? Suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. Among these, you see, he talks about these some people for a while, but then he wants to say, you know what, Timothy, let me tell you exactly who a couple of them are so there's no confusion here. He says, among these are Hymenaeus and Alexander. And what happened? I turned them over to Satan. That sounds pretty dangerous to me. I turned them over to Satan. Why? So they will be taught not to blaspheme. And it's no accident that Paul calls false teachings doctrines of demons. Sometimes we say, why did he say that? Why did he learn, use such strong language? Why did he just call it, you know, oh, they're a little off base? No, it gets right to the point. Doctrines of demons. Why? Please turn to 1 Timothy 4.1. As we wrap up this morning. 1 Timothy 4.1. I want you to see it yourself. It's one or the other. This is why it's a doctrine of demon. It's unholy. It's godless. It's either godly or godless. And there's no in-between. See, the world wants to have this great in-between where they want you to live. But you can't. You're either godly or godless. A teaching is either from the Bible or it's not. Okay. But the Spirit explicitly says that in later times, some will fall away. Here we go. Go away from the truth. Fall away from the truth. Fall into a pit. Paying attention to what? Deceitful spirits. Notice this ultimately comes from the powers and the principalities of the darkness. Paying attention to deceitful spirits. So we just think it's a person. But behind that person is the real liar. And it gets right to the point. Doctrines of demons. 
You might think sometimes why I get a little upset with certain teachings that aren't from the Bible. Well, so did Paul. In fact, he went way beyond what I usually say. I probably should say this more often. Those are doctrines of demons. When you turn aside from the truth, you'll be turned over to the lies. Lies that are preached by teachers that you followed. And ultimately, if you're honest, you follow them because they told you what you wanted to hear. As Paul signs off, he warns Timothy, guard the truth, stay away from the lies. And one more thing, look at 1 Timothy, back to 1 Timothy 6, verse 21. Guard the truth, stay away from the lies. And one more thing, the most important thing to put in this picture, because you hear something like this and you say, wow, I got to do this on my own strength and ability? Oh, I'm going to do that. Well, here's how you're going to do it. Chapter 6, verse 21. B, the B part, last four words. Grace be with you. Not by might, not by power, right? But that you understand and know the Lord. Without him, we can do nothing. But with him, we can do all things grace. It's what God gives you every day. In Romans chapter 5, Paul says, we are now standing under a waterfall of grace. Never forget that. Never forget that. The word of God is protection. God says, I will work out all things together for good for those of my children. Never forget grace. Don't leave that out of the picture. Why? Because you'll give up. You'll panic. You know, you'll, you'll, you'll say, I can't do this. Yes, you can. Why? Because you got God on your side. You got the Holy Spirit in your heart. You got the Word of God. You have God's grace when you fail. You have God's grace. He says, I'm going to give you everything you need here. No matter what you get into, whatever trouble, difficulty, persecution, I'm going to be there. I'm going to rescue you out of the lion's mouth. Grace. And it's interesting because from start to finish, Paul wraps his letter in grace. Look at 1 Timothy 1 2. Very beginning, very end. Grace be with you. But notice what he said at the very beginning. 1 Timothy 1, 2. This is a great statement. Probably, you know, we probably didn't, we kind of saw it and we were in verse 2 and we kind of knew something about it. But boy, at the end, doesn't it mean so much more? Look at 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 2. To Timothy, my true child in the faith, the precious deposit, Grace. Mercy and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. You know, Paul himself, totally graced out by God. He said he was the worst sinner who ever lived. And yet God showed him mercy because he acted out of ignorance. Paul was graced out by God. And you know something? He knew why. He did. Matter of fact, this church that Timothy's been ministering to in Ephesus, years earlier... Paul told those saints at Ephesus why he was graced out by God. This is where we'll close. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 8. Here's why. Here's why God is pouring things into our lives now. Yes, we're his children. Yes, he loves us. Yes, no matter what happens, he'll be there for us. But we're his children. That doesn't, we don't just sit, sit around the fire. We say, well, we're his children. He, like father, like son. Imitators of God as beloved children. 
He told the saints at Ephesus how he was, how he saw the grace of God and what it meant for him. Ephesians 3.8. To me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given for what? To preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ. To preach to the world the unfathomable riches of Christ. That's never changed. That's what Timothy took up. You see, that was the legacy. That was the ultimate legacy that Paul passed on to Timothy. To preach the gospel to the Gentiles. Preach the unfathomable riches of Christ. They're all here. You hear about them when we all gather together. But think about it. They're unfathomable riches because they have to do with Christ. All right, let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you today so much. We thank you that we were able to study this complete letter. We thank you, Father, that all of the things, all the principles, all the riches, all these sights and glimpses of the Lord that we've received along the way, the challenges, the rebukes, the comforts, all of it, the incredible pictures and visions of our Lord and Savior that we saw it several times. We thank you for that. We thank you, Father, also that we know you'll never leave us or forsake us. We know that you'll take care of us. You've promised to do that. And Father, we just ask one more time today that we would um, hold on to and guard the simplicity of the gospel, that your son is the God-man. He was born. He lived. He went to the cross and died for our sins. He was buried. On the third day, he was raised from the dead. So that whoever believes in your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, who died for our sins, was buried and rose from the dead. That person will never perish, but has eternal life. Father, we just ask that we understand that's the great deposit we have and that we would, in turn, preach this gospel as Paul and Timothy did. We ask this all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right. That's it. That's Timothy for you. First Timothy, anyway. Maybe someday we'll come back and look at Second Timothy. Um, just a quick reminder, we have Bible study every Thursday on the Skype technology. I didn't go to a conference on it, but we do use it. Um, please join us. You're welcome. You just go on our website, www.lbible.org. You can find out how you need to get on. We're studying the book of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah. We also pray at the end. And I just, people wonder, about, okay, so if we don't tithe, what do we do? And the answer is, is we do what God tells us to do in, the, in, in 2 Corinthians. We had to give generously as God has allowed us to with a pure heart. He said, I love a cheerful giver. We're never going to put the screws on you for like, hey, we want this, we want that. It's not going to happen. We're not going to pass the basket around. Why? Because we figure the Lord would take him at his word. He says, what I'm going to do is people are going to have a gratitude and appreciation. They're going to understand like, how the ministry is helping people and be a part of it. That's the, that is the giving that God wants. All right. Let's close one more time. Father, we thank you so much for your grace. We ask today, Father, that we in turn be people of grace, both with ourselves and others. We ask it in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. All right. You're now dismissed. Enjoy this great weather. It's a little warm, you know, for New Englander, but that's okay. We'll take it. <laughs>